Okay, we are in uh, uh, Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, picking up where we left off last time, chronological life of Jesus. Luke chapter 5, reading from verse 1. Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and he began teaching the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. And when he had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, And their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that he fell down, when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch a fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John's, John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear, from now on you will be catching men. And when, he, and when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Okay, so there were, there were uh, uh, five disciples that we had seen before five disciples that we had covered before as we went through the, a portion in John. There were five disciples that went with Jesus at, to the uh, wedding feast of Cana. He didn't have the twelve by now. But now this is a distinct calling. So there, there were five of the apostles, the uh, disciples that eventually became apostles, were, were with him at that wedding feast. But now he makes a distinct calling to four of them in particular. And So it says that in verse 1 of chapter 5, Now it had happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God. So what's happening? Jesus is is by the sea and it says, He was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. That's the Sea of Galilee, or the lake of Gennesaret. It's a a rather large lake. I mean, it really is quite large. And uh, I mean, it's not like the Great Lakes, but it's a big lake. And... uh, um, so any, anyway, he, he's standing by this, this, this Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Gennesaret. And the crowds, he's teaching them and they're pressing upon him. So what does he do? So as they're pressing around him, he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. So he turns and he sees two boats. Why, why does he have to, to do this? Why can't he just continue to teach there? But now the crowds are coming and they're pressing around him. You will see, if you look at the life of Jesus, he had this tremendous gift of administration. Gift of administration is this gift to be able to do crowd control. The gift, the gift to be able to move people in and out. The gift to be able to serve thousands of people. Not just to make lots of food to serve them and say, well guys, dig in! No. He, remember, he, he, when he served the 5,000, he had them sit down in groups of 50. And then he had the disciples go and fan out and give it to the different groups. And he often segregated 
people by, by groups of people. This is an important gift. You think, oh, this is, this is superfluous. This is overhead. It is not. If you will have ever been in a crowd of people and there's no leader there, everybody's confused. A pastor has to have this gift of administration. The Bible speaks of, of the gift of administration. pastor has to have this gift. If a pastor does not have that gift, everybody's in disarray. And you can watch and see when the pastor comes in, he says, okay, let, let, let's start. you guys go over here, you guys start moving these chairs, and all of a sudden people start, start moving and, and getting things done. And if you have that gift of administration and you're in, in an area where you're a visitor, you're not in charge, you have to sometimes contain yourself because you want to right away start saying, hey, you do this, you move those chairs over here. You do. And people start doing it. But without a person like that, it gets really disorganized. Jesus had a tremendous... Remember, he had the embodiment. Embodied within him were all the spiritual gifts. But he had this gift of administration, so there's all these crowds coming. So he's got to do something because they're pressing in on him. So when the crowds start pressing in on you, you can't publicly speak because you're just surrounded with people and the people in the back can't hear you. So what he does is it says that he turns and he sees two boats lying at the edge of the lake. But the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. So the fishermen were washing their nets. So there were two boats. There were four fishermen, which we'll see, and two, two per boat, and they were washing their nets. Well, why do you have to wash your nets? Well, you get seaweed all over them. So, so, so they're washing off their nets. So they're probably standing in the water, you know, washing their nets off. He sees these two boats and he climbs into one of them. In verse 3, And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked them to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and he began teaching the people from the boat. And so you remember this is the typical uh, uh, Jewish mindset where you sit down to teach. That, and, and we will see that many other occasions. Now, if you're in a boat, it's always wise to sit down because uh, if you don't, you could fall out. If you're trying to stand up, it, it, it's hard. But he sits down to teach. And he tells them to move out just a little way into the water because this is really smart. Because what happens is, is by the Sea of Gennesaret, there's this, this landing that, that actually rises up generally fairly quickly because there's hills right, right by, the, by the sea there. And so he could stay back a little bit in the water. These people are going to be on, on the landing as, as it's rising up and he can project and speak out to them. It's really a wise way to speak. People who have this gift of administration know where to stand to speak. People who don't have this gift, you say, will you make this announcement? And they'll turn and face the wall and make the announcement. And you wonder, why are you doing this? Because they don't have the gift of administration. They have no idea of the volume that they need to speak to address a crowd of a certain size. You see that they, they, they have no training, they have no gift of administration. And, and I can do this. Sometimes I'll invite a student up to speak and I'll say, you have to speak into the microphone. And you have to speak loudly. And so they'll start the sentence and they'll start speaking loudly. I had just told them you have to speak loudly and the first three words are loud and then it just tails right off. And I can tell them, if you don't speak up, they're not going to hear you. Oh, okay, I'm speaking up. And then you can't hear them anymore because they, they don't understand what you have to do. So Jesus really understood what he had to do so he didn't have to back up far into the lake. You don't want to be, you know, 200 yards into the lake and try to start speaking. Just a short distance. And, and as I thought about this, how did that boat stay there? Well, you could say, well, uh, maybe, maybe uh, uh, Peter dropped the anchor on the boat. But remember, they, they didn't have Danforth anchors back then that dig in, you know, and, and uh, 
Uh, it was probably a rope tied to a rock or a rope tied to a, a basket with a rock in it. And these things dragged. So maybe Peter's standing there holding the boat, because remember, he's standing in the water anyway, washing his nets. Because if you don't have somebody holding the boat, it's going to slowly drift. But it's only a few feet, maybe ten feet back into the water, uh, uh, and, and Jesus is now speaking. And so he starts to address this crowd, and then it says, And he sat down and he began teaching the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. So now, he uses Peter's boat, and then he tells Peter, Okay, now put into the deep water because you're going to catch some fish now. Now remember, Jesus' upbringing, he was the son of a carpenter, so he may well have been trained in carpentry. He's the son of Joseph, a carpenter. He was not a fisherman. Jesus was a fisher, uh, uh, Peter was a fisherman. So P- Simon Peter says to him in verse 5, Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. So remember, it, 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 so, so Simon explains that he had worked all night long, which fishermen often do, because often fish would, it, it's easier to catch fish at night sometimes. And so he had worked all night. He had now washed his nets. So what does he have to do? After you wash the nets, you can't just throw them back in the boat or else they're going to rot. You have to put them out on the land and let them dry out. So he had washed his nets and now Jesus wants him to take these wet nets after he's washed them and put them back in the boat rather than on the land. And, and, and we know because of Peter's, Simon Peter's ultimate response that when he says, we've worked hard all night, but at your command, we'll go out and, 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 and we'll do as you say, um, and, and we'll let down the nets, you, you know, we know that, that there must have been some sarcasm in that. Because if he had had that great faith, he wouldn't have had the response to Jesus as he ultimately had, which is, get away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. What's sinful about, I have great faith and I will do exactly as you say? Nothing sinful about that. What's sinful is when the Lord said to him, do this, and Peter probably responds like this. Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I'll do as you say. <laughs> and, and, you know, we'll go and let down the nets. You know, and he's probably looking over at his brother like, you know, Andrew, like, oh no. This guy's been sleeping all night. We've been working all night. This guy wakes up in the morning and starts teaching, you know, just starts speaking, and here we are working, you know, cleaning our nets, and I'm trying to get done with this so I can get it up on the land and get the thing dried, and then he starts climbing in my boat. He wants me to put out a little so he can teach. I mean, I'm a busy guy. You know, I've got money to make here. You know, I don't catch fish, I don't eat. And if I don't bring fish home, you know, it says that he had caught nothing. Well, what does that mean? It means that when he gets home, he's in trouble with his wife. Because she's waiting there at the door for the paycheck. You know, that's just the way it is. And he didn't even have fish for dinner that night, let alone the paycheck. There was nothing. And remember, his mother-in-law was at the house too. And she was now well. So he was going to have to get confronted by his mother-in-law as well. So he's got all of this going through his mind. He's a busy guy. 
He's, he's, he's like us. He's got all these concerns in life. And now he's got to take these nets that he's already picked all the seaweed off of, put it back into the boat, and you know with nets you can't just... You know, you've got to roll them up properly, get them in the boats. And then he's going to let down the nets again, and he knows there's no fish out there to get. They've gone somewhere else. He was out there all night trying to get fish. And he knows that once he doesn't get any more fish, he's going to have to come in and re-clean all the seaweed off the nets. This is a lot of extra work. Well, at your command, we'll do it. This is, this is the way he is, because we know he had to be like this by his ultimate response. But he listens to the Lord. When they had done this in verse 6, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. I mean, this never happens. It never happens like this. That you catch so many fish that the nets are breaking. And now they fill the boats and he has to call his, his buddies over. So you've got the, the, these other two guys. You, you have James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Uh, uh, so this is, this is the first instance where, where we see James. We've seen John before. So you see James and John, the, John, the sons of Zebedee there. And he calls them over for help. And they fill their boat too. So that net that they pulled up filled both boats so that both boats were beginning to sink. This is a lot of fish. A lot of fish. Jesus did this. They toss out the net and Peter's like... And all of a sudden this net starts to... You know, so many fish... What's happening here? It means the God of heaven and earth is calling fish. Get in that net. And schools of fish start filling that net so much that this boat is probably being dragged by these fish. And they've got to get all these fish into this thing and they start pulling it up and the nets start to to tear, to, to, to break. There's so many fish. And they're pulling them up and you know, fish flying up, hitting them in the face and just dropping them in the boat. And the boat's starting to sink and the net's still got plenty of fish in it so they have to call these other two guys so you know they're not hundreds of yards away from the shore or else they wouldn't be able to call these guys. So they're not even that far from the shore. He says, go, go out and drop it in, into the deep. But that, that goes off quite, quite quickly. They can't be that far because they call the other two guys. They come out, they fill their boat and their boat starts to sink. And then if you read this, it says, it says that um, in verse 8, but when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, get away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now it says here in the New American Standard, he, he fell down at Jesus' feet. I was reading in the New King James and it says, he fell down at Jesus' knees. And so I, you look here, and it has feet, and it has a little footnote, and it says feet is really knees. So, so the the New American Standard put the word foot there, feet there, but it should have been knees. He fell down at Jesus's knees. 
Every other reference in the Bible, you fall down at the Lord's feet. Well, you can't fall down at His feet because the boat is filled with fish. It's filled with fish up to here. <laughs> no, it is. You can't get at the man's feet. You know, so these Bible translators put in the word feet, but it's not really there. It says he fell at Jesus' knees. You go, you know, flat on your face, you're only up to his knees because you're lying down on a bed of flapping fish. This is why it says he fell at his knees. I mean, that's as far down as he could get. He says, I am sorry, I am a sinful man, O Lord. I mean, this is, this is a confession of repentance. Why should he see this? Why doesn't he go, praise the Lord, glory? That's not his response. His response is he sees this. He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Go away from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I'm a sinful man, O Lord. He recognizes his sin for not trusting that God was going to do something amazing. For speaking so sarcastically. Had he spoke with great faith, Yes, at your command we'll do it. Because I know we'll get lots of fish. No, he knew nothing. He totally doubted this carpenter's son who had slept all night while he had worked all night. Who had asked him to get his, his, his nets dirty again. Totally doubted him. And so that now he sees him and says, I am such a sinner because you do marvelous things in the life of people and I doubted you. You compare yourself to other people. You'll always find someone worse than yourself. But what happens when you get saved, you compare yourself to the Lord and you will say, I am a sinner, O Lord. I am a sinful man. So he falls to Jesus' knees. He proclaims this. And then in verse 9, for amazement had seized him. Amazement. Remember, he's a fisherman. He's used to fish. If this thing happened, if fish filled boats like this, once a week he wouldn't be amazed. Oh, good catch. If this happened once a year, he wouldn't be amazed. This doesn't happen. He brings it to a point where it's beyond reality for these folks in catching fish. It's beyond the point of reality. This doesn't happen. It never happens like this. The God of heaven and earth called schools of fish forward to fill those nets. The God of heaven and earth, the night before, had kept schools of fish away from his nets to be able to demonstrate something to him. It says, Amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. So not just Peter, but his brother Andrew and James and John. They're all like, whoa, we have never seen fish like this. Remember, the boats are beginning to sink. So they've got to get the boats back fast before they sink. Maybe they had to let some of the fish go. Maybe they had to keep some of the fish in the nets and just you know, drag it alongside. There's so many fish. So also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. From now on, you will catch men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. There was a change. They saw that Jesus could intercede in the affairs of men. And they resigned from the fishing business. 
And when it says they left everything and followed them, I guarantee you they didn't need just walk away from those fish. So they, they, they got their money. But now they began a ministry of walking with Jesus and trusting Him to provide for them through the ministry. Now they didn't get rid of their boats when it says they, they left everything because we know many times they used their boats to j- transport Jesus back and forth across that lake. And then after Jesus dies, before he, so he, he's resurrected, and, but before he goes back up into heaven, remember what happens? Peter says, I'm going fishing. And he goes fishing. So he still had his fishing boat. So when it says he left everything, he didn't leave it in the sense that we think. It means that he went to, to go partake in this ministry for a few years. But the boats were still owned But he left that fishing business for this time and he was never going to really return to it except that one day that he said, I'm going fishing again. And Jesus ends up appearing to them on the beach where he had fish for them. But we'll get to that later on. But you see what happens here. Something happens. And let me relate this to our lives. So this is the context of what happened. How does this relate to our lives? I have seen this over and over again I have data point after data point, and it is this, and I have seen it in my own life. If you will but trust God and give what you have in time to God, give time to God for His work, for His labor, He will bless your work. If you're a fisherman, He'll give you fish. If you're a chemist, He'll give you chemicals. He'll do whatever, if you're a pianist, He'll give you better talent. He will do this. He does this. And it comes with faith. You must believe and step out and say, I will go, I will let down the nets. When students tell me, oh, I, I'm, I, I have to, you know, I'm, I'm going to go and I'm going to, I can't be at the uh, meeting because I, I'm going and I've got to give a testimony for the Lord. I am so happy because I know God is going to bless my lab through that student. Because they're out and about Christian work. And it's not that they're slouches, not at all. It's not that they don't do their work. Because I know when a student is out and about doing the work of God, Jesus is going to fill their nets. You can certainly sacrifice a few hours a week in service to the Lord. And if you're too busy for that, your nets will be empty in your life. You will never catch enough. And, and I've seen this where, where people think, you know, I've got to compete, I've got to do this. The world is a hard taskmaster. Very difficult to compete with the world. You want to go out and compete with the world? Try it. There's always going to be a lot better people than you out there. A lot more talented. But you go and you give some of your time to the work of God. That doesn't mean you don't practice. It doesn't mean you don't study. You give a few hours a week to the work of God and He will bless your work. I have seen this time and time again. When I was an undergraduate, I gave a lot of time to the work of the Lord. I was in the discipleship program. I was sharing the Lord, going out, doing door-to-door witnessing, and I was doing several hours a week of service to the Lord. In fact, more hours than I like to talk about. But that's the only thing I did, is I studied and I labored for the Lord. I I had no other activities. I wasn't out partying. I wasn't out... You know, shooting baskets and, you know, I, I serve the Lord. If you will serve the Lord, He will bless your work. 
I was in the discipleship home with guys who would say, no, I can't make it to the meeting. I, I, I got to study. I got to study. I got to do well. I got to study. And I saw those guys, and I saw them not do very well. I saw them, you know, uh, really want particular jobs, and the jobs weren't opening for them. When I was out interviewing, I, everywhere I went, the door opened. Every interview I went on, people were offering me the job. Why is that? Is that something inherent within me? No way. There's no way. I know what happened to me. I was a freshman studying chemistry. Somebody, in, in, in their poor judgment, put me in the honors program because I was a chemistry major, and I shouldn't have been in the honors program. I should have been in just regular chemistry with regular people because those chemistry honors people had been studying chemistry since kindergarten. They knew everything, and I knew nothing. And I was struggling with this. I came to the Lord, and I got a B-plus at the end of my first semester. I came to the Lord in November of my freshman year. I got a B-plus at the end of that semester. And at the end of my four years, I was the number one chemistry student on campus. And God had blessed. I won everything you could win. I took every graduate course in organic chemistry that you could take as an undergraduate. And I was at the top of every class. How? From this guy who struggled with chemistry. You say, oh, you were really smart. No, I wasn't. I was really weak. I know what God did through the work. And I've seen this in people's lives. If you will give your heart to the Lord, Jesus fills your net. Why does He give us this example if it were not true? Why does He do this if it were not true? He will fill your nets. And so when I see believers say, no, I got, I got, I'm just too busy to participate. I'm too busy to serve. I'm thinking, you are just cutting out so much in your life of what you can get. And I see it in careers. And you say, well, you know, there's other famous chemists. There are. There are other famous chemists who don't know the Lord. I never should have been among that group. And in the midst of that, I'll tell you the other thing that I got. I got a beautiful wife who loves me and I love her. And we've been married 30 years and I still love her. And she still loves me sometimes. (laughs) And I got four children that I love and I haven't lost my family along the way. And we've been able to touch lives. You will do far beyond what anyone else does. And I know many of these other famous chemists. They don't touch lives like our family touches lives. What God does in filling our nets is better than what I... I don't don't know anybody who, who, who fills the nets like we do. This is the blessing from God. There's nothing inherent within me. This is the blessing of God. You pour your life into others, you will be blessed. Jesus said, you drop down the net. I'll give you a catch of fish. You labored all night. You can't catch anything. I'll take care of that. He has redirected my career. I was trained in natural products chemistry, and I I started doing that, and I couldn't get any funding, couldn't get any funding, wrote proposal after proposal. All of a sudden, we we started doing a little bit in materials and, and, and molecular electronics, and it just exploded, just exploded, and it set me up for an area that had not yet been called nanotechnology. We were doing nano before it was even called nano. And then all of a sudden, when people started using that term, they all started pointing to our research group like we were the leaders. I just fell into this. I just threw the net wherever the Lord told me to throw the net. And we caught this huge catch. God will drop you into places and give you success in your career if you follow Him. You give something of your life to Him. And then you get this, and I'm like, 
Lord, I am a sinful man. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. People think my IQ is 40 points higher than it really is. God does things in people's lives. Jesus said this. Turn to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verse 23. John 12, 23. Jesus answered them saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains by itself alone. Uh, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world shall keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there shall my servant also be. And if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Whoa! If anyone serves me, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Can you imagine the God of heaven and earth looking down and saying, I will honor that person. I will bring them up. I will fill their nets. Why? Because they served the Son of God. You serve the Son of God and you will be blessed. You give of yourself and putting your rear end in a, in, a, in a pew on Sunday or in a chair on Sunday is not service to Him. That is expected. There is something where you take of yourself and you give to others in the sense of you giving your time. You're serving in some capacity. You're doing some labor for the Lord. Doing some work for the Lord. You say, well, I'm not very good at this and that. You're good at something. You can certainly, you know, do janitorial work. You can do some things. You can serve the Lord in some ways. This can be on campus groups. This can be teaching Bible studies. You say, well, I don't know enough. Well, then get in Bible studies and start learning enough so you can help out. You serve the Lord and don't do it for payment. Because then you will have received your payment already on this earth. Don't do it for payment. I'll travel all over the place. They want to give me an honorarium for speaking. I don't touch it. I won't touch an honorarium. Why? You know, that's for people in full-time service. The university pays me quite well. I'm not out there to to receive their, their, their payment for preaching the Lord. I want blessings from heaven. And what comes in that? Don't do this for money. Do it because, because in service to God. Jesus said, whoever serves me, the Father will honor him. Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. I have seen so many believers love their life more than they've loved the service to the Lord. And they've lost so much. I can see the response of believers. I can look at students. I can look at students and know what their lives are going to be like. Because when I see a life poured out in service to the Lord, I know that God is going to bless their lives. I know that that person is going to find a good spouse who loves the Lord, who is going to be likewise selfless. I know when I see a selfish student, I know what their spouse is going to be like. Their spouse is going to be selfish. That's who they're going to be married to. I can see it. I can see what is going to come into young lives. Just because I have those data points, I've seen it. This word is true. You give of your life for Him and He will give back to you. You will keep your life by giving it for Him. Now, I don't know that you're going to be the best pianist or the best chemist or the best physicist. He's going to do something in your life beyond your expectations. 
beyond what you could imagine if you labor in service to Him. A life poured out is a life highly blessed. You let me use your boat to preach. You do as I tell you. Your nets are going to be overflowing. And now, you think that's pretty good? Peter, I'm going to show you, you can catch men. And then it takes the whole job and it makes it different. If I had to get to the end of my life and look back and say, well, what do I have to show for it? Well, I have uh, those publications. Oh, come on. Nobody even reads those. I mean, there's a handful of people in the world that even read those, and that's only graduate students because they have to. You know, nobody who doesn't have to reads those. You know, this is a thing just to make us in the community feel good about ourselves. It's not those publications. It's as I look back and I reflect on the lives touched, on the lives ministered to. Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. I will give you a whole new reason to be satisfied with your accomplishments in life. It's so much greater than the little trinkets that you might deal with working for IBM or for Intel or for ExxonMobil. You know, so what? So you moved a few more gas molecules around working for ExxonMobil. Big deal. It's the people that are touched, the lives that are touched, the history that is changed through the lives of the people that you will touch. Jesus said, I'm going to do something now even much greater. I'll bless you as a fisherman. Now I'll give you something even much greater. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Your word, which teaches us and instructs us. Father, thank you for your mercies. Lord, thank you that you blessed overflowing when there is service to you. And I pray, Father, for these young people that they would take hold of that in their lives at this young age. That they would understand something of service to you. That they would understand what it is to serve God, to honor Him. Father, that they would not hold on to their lives lest they lose it but they would give their lives for you and hence gain life. Father, I pray that they would understand what it is to have the Father, the God of heaven and earth, honor them. Lord, I pray that you bring that into, into their lives, that they would serve you. Father, for those that have wanted to hold back, Father, I pray that they would be able to serve you and see that you would honor them far beyond whatever the world could give, that you would honor them. The grace of God be upon them, I pray. Father, have mercy on their young lives. In the name of Jesus, amen.